often hear that improvements in computing power have made a big difference in allowing new applications in machine learning and deep learning, making sense of video, finding new drugs, etc. That high performance computing has really pushed the limits of artificial intelligence and allowed us to do things that we couldn't before. That certainly makes sense, but is it the case for all businesses? This week, we speak with Paul Martino. Paul is the founder and general partner at Bullpen Capital here in San Francisco. Paul invests in a number of companies in the high-performance computing space, in addition to having a background and a number of exits himself. Uh, we speak with Paul about, given what he gets to see as an investor, watching these companies grow and sell their high-compute resources and services uh, to other companies, who are the businesses that might really need a next step up in computing power to permit the kinds of AI applications that they're into? As it turns out, it seems that there's some applications for artificial intelligence where a real sea change in computing ability isn't really required. And then there are other kinds of applications that really likely will require a level up in computing power. And we speak with Paul about what are those businesses that will have those higher demands and what could they be doing now to sort of prepare for those upgrades as new evolutions come about in terms of what they're able to do with AI in their business. So without further ado, this is Paul with Bullpen Capital here on AI and Industry. So, Paul, I know you folks invest in the high-performance computing space and sort of seem to have a bit of a focus there. I think most of our audience is familiar that with the fact that improvements in computing have permitted AI to serve a bigger role in industry and in research and in general. When you try to explain that kind of from a layperson's perspective, what has actually changed to permit AI to sort of be possible? Is there a way that you explain this to business folks who really don't have PhDs in that specific domain? Yeah, one of the things I like to point out in this area is most lay people in the business of technology do understand what Moore's Law is. At the end yep. of the day, Moore's Law is something we've all grown accustomed to. You know, the computing power gets cheaper and faster, it seems like, every year. And so when you then say to someone, hey, did you know that Moore's Law is moving faster on graphics cards than it is in general purpose computers – you know, the business community goes, wow, that's pretty interesting. You mean the video card in my computer is actually getting faster at a higher clip than the actual processor in my computer? No kidding. Well, and it turns out for a lot of AI applications, the graphics card, the highly parallel structure of the graphics card is more important for those AI applications than general computing. So you sit there and go, wow, we've got this really interesting thing going on. AI is taking off at the exact same time the compute power and massively parallel systems like graphic cards is happening. So I don't think these are coincidence. In my experience, the business community goes, okay, I get that. I can follow that argument. Cool. I think most people are probably familiar with the term GPUs as well. We did an interview with NVIDIA, I think about a year ago or so, we tried to kind of clarify the term and sort of some of its broad applications. And I know that there's obviously a lot of other folks in addition to just NVIDIA are working on it, but I think that that kind of puts things in some context. Looking forward into the future, I think this is going to be the bulk of our interview here, Paul. In terms of where high power computing matters, you know, there's probably folks listening in on this podcast now who are working in an industry where, you know, with a pistol to their temple, they wouldn't be able to tell you is massive leaps in high performance computing relevant for us or not. I guess it's kind of relevant for everybody just at a baseline level. If everything moves a little bit faster and you can do some more stuff, happy birthday. That's really nice. But there's some industries where it's kind of what we would call mission critical. And there's other industries where maybe not so much. In your perspective, when you look at sort of where there's a hunger for high performance computing because people need it to actually stay ahead of the curve. They need it to fulfill on their, their value proposition as a business. Not a nice to have, which I'm sure is a great many industries, but really kind of a need to have. 
Where are the spaces where you see the hunger for that kind of higher performance in computing? So there are three or four categories of applications we see our picks and shovels kinds of companies end up getting drawn into. One is an oil and gas discovery. One is in ad targeting, and one is in you know what I would call drug discovery, exploration of new compounds. And so you look at some of our companies that are in the high-performance computing space, or what I call on the bridge between high-performance and AI, almost every one of their customers end up looking like one of those kinds of companies. Everything from the very, quote, trivial aspect of ad matching on one side to the very important for humanity, finding the next drug, those are the kinds of fields that improvements in the computing lead to the ability to implement new AI algorithms. And without the changes to the underlying hardware or software infrastructure below, you can't actually implement some of the algorithms. And so that's where we've spent a lot of our time and attention. And you look at a company in our portfolio like Greeniac, which is doing data center acceleration. Turns out most of the time when you're doing an application like this, you're bound not on the actual compute resources of your GPU or your CPU, but of the IO back channel to actually get the data from place to place. You're computing across such big, massive data sets that moving the data from point A to point B is actually causing you more trouble than actually performing the computation on it. So the guys at Reniac, for example, realized that they could solve this IO bottleneck problem by using some FPGAs. So that's the kind of stuff that we get excited yeah, we're, about. We're getting so lost on the jargon F- there, but um, can you hit us with FPGAs real quick? I know there's a lot of people with an airplane going over their head on that one. Yeah, FPGA is a fully programmable gate array. It doesn't matter what it is to some extent from the jargon point of view. It's a $1,000 card you can throw into your data center and solve your IO back channel problem. So this is pretty cool. So for the business audience, you sit there and you go, okay, I spent all this money buying all these high performance processors and all the data is in the wrong spot. So why don't I spend a thousand bucks to buy this FPGA so that I can solve my IO back channel problem? And again, what is the IO back channel problem? It's that you've got a whole bunch of data over on one node of your cluster and the other node of your cluster has got to go compute on it. I don't care how fast your processor is. If the data is not next to the processor, you got a problem. And a lot of problems in AI are now getting decomposed into this. Well, it's not how fast my processor is. It's how much data and how close am I to the data from a physical proximity to apply that awesome processor I spent all that money on. Got it. Now, do you see these as prevalent issues in those three spaces? I know you mentioned ad tech, you mentioned oil and gas, you mentioned healthcare. I imagine there's others, but those are the ones that you've seen. And certainly you know, I can, at least in terms of AI applications at a, at a high level, seem to be very, you know, active areas in some regard. Are these all spaces where we have a bunch of that issue, that kind of proximity issue? Absolutely, because the data sets are so big. At some point when the data sets are as big as they are, finding needles in haystacks, which are literally what you try and do. Most of the problems, for lack of a better word, drug discovery, oil and gas, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. You're looking for that one compound in healthcare. You're looking for that one perfect ad from a sea of hundreds of thousands of possibilities. And so when you have data sets that are that big, all of these attributes, hundreds of attributes of the people, thousands of ads that are available, time of day, all these kinds of pieces of the puzzle, it's not so much how fast is your processor. Can the processor be close enough to the data to do its magic on it? Because that data might be spread all across the world, all across the country in various data centers, having a component of the puzzle. And so getting that data from point A to point B, whether it be in one data center rack, whether it be around the world, that ends up being a really, really difficult problem right now because of how big these data sets are. Nobody can store them in one computer. You know, it's not like, oh, I can fit all 
that data on one flash drive. It doesn't work that way anymore. These sets are simply too big. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, uh, maybe the, the uneducated intuition would be like, well, I mean, when we collect all that stuff, we would put it all in some, you know, uh, huge cloud storage somewhere where we could kind of put it in appropriate buckets and then pull it down when we want to make sense of it. But I guess what you're getting at is there's circumstances where that's very much not what you're going to do and that that won't work at all. That's right, because the I.O. access time to the cloud is simply too slow for the algorithm you need to go run. And oh, by the way, the data is distributed across multiple data centers with even higher latencies once I go to the cloud. And so this is where a ton of innovation is actually happening. How you can get, you know, in the industry, how you can get data locality. That's the geeky term for this. Basically, how can I make sure that the processor's got the data sitting next to it that it needs to go compute on? And oh, by the way, how can I predict in advance what data I might want at my processor so I don't need to go hit the cloud all the time. That's where some really cool innovations happening, where you look at the problem, you parse it out, and before you even start computing, you go pre-cache the data and make sure it's sitting in the right data center, make sure it's sitting at the right GPU, so that before you even begin the computation, you got a pretty good guess at what data you're going to need to go make it happen. Got it. Okay. And so I'm going to touch on a couple things here and on that last point you made as well. One just kind of observational point here, Paul, is that it seems like, you know, you're mentioning oil and gas and healthcare uh, and marketing. I imagine probably this is not small and mid-sized businesses that are doing this super high power computing stuff. I mean, this is probably the big boys of the world, you know, the Amazons and Wayfairs and kind of their likenesses. It seems like part of the reason that maybe high performance computing is sitting in those camps is because maybe they're big enough industries with big enough budgets to actually be able to foot the bill for kind of this cutting edge research. You know, when you're talking about the bleeding, screaming edge, it's very rarely the cheapest thing on the market. And it's very rarely the least risky thing to try to plug into your business if it's somewhat new. It seems like to some degree, you know, we're always going to see innovation in these gargantuan industries that have gargantuan companies because they're the ones that are going to be able to first foot the bill to bring this to life. Is, is that the case? Or do you think it's more about the very nature of the oil and gas business and its problems, the very nature of the pharma business and its problems? Or, or do you think it's 50% or more on how damn big those industries are? What are your thoughts there? I think it to some extent, it's almost like the high order bid is this simple. Are you continuing to run your own data center operations? Yes or no? And we have companies where literally that's their screening process for any potential customer they're going to take on. And if you're running a next generation ad tech company, you're probably not doing it on AWS. You probably still are running it in your own proprietary data, data center, even if you're interfacing to places like AWS. And so in the industries that I'm talking about, many of them still are running their own data centers, their own proprietary data centers. I'm not talking private cloud. I'm talking their own physical data center yeah. where you call somebody up and you go, which rack is it in? Oh, I need to put three more CPUs in that particular rack, not virtual private cloud stuff. And so that to me is the dichotomy. Industries that are still getting advantage by running their own data center operations are the ones where high performance computing is important. And that's because the application that they're running ultimately requires every bit and byte to matter. And those tend to be the categories we see our buyers in across our companies. Cool. Okay. So that's a nice kind of screening concept. I think if someone can ask themselves a question or ask somebody else a question and kind of know 
could this cutting edge stuff be relevant for our business or not? It's nice to have kind of an, an Occam's razor question. Uh, we can just get down to business on it. The second point that you were touching on just a bit ago with respect to people who are, who are working with data sets that are so large, and you were talking about ad tech and, and things like that. In terms of the companies that sort of need this stuff now, are there other commonalities other than just sort of having, you know, handling their own data and data centers? Are there maybe faces like ad tech is one, for example, where there just has more innovation and opportunity for AI and a need for high performance computing in addition to just needing a place to store all their stuff? Like, are there spaces where maybe we're seeing more use of these big gargantuan sums of data in terms of AI, maybe than others? And for all I know, maybe pharma and marketing kind of fit the bill for that, but I figure I kind of run it by you. Yeah. And so there's a classic 80-20 rule here. If you're in the 80% of the world, you're going to go follow what the 20% of the world bleeding edge kind of people had to do to make their thing work. And then you're going to go and copy it. And quite frankly, we see this with a lot of our direct-to-consumer companies. As much as we're in a lot of companies like Reniac, and uh, I was an advisor to a company called AOSD, and we were in Flashsoft, and companies like those, for every one of them, we're also in a company like Homelight or FanDuel, fantasy sports and real estate, that are using the now design techniques around customer acquisition that got pioneered elsewhere. You go walk into a place like FanDuel's customer acquisition room during the height of NFL season, you'd almost think that you're at NASA. The level of yeah, sophistication. Yeah, that's got to be crazy, yeah. Right? The level of sophistication that has now been learned from industries that were in high-performance computing for a decade that are now being applied to, okay, it's NFL season. I want to acquire customers as cheaply as possible. You know, it, it really is amazing how scientific our direct-to-consumer companies have become around customer acquisition because they've been able to you know, step on the backs of the giants who have gone before them. And I think that's what's so cool. We're seeing this consumerization of AI where it's getting used. Some people call it a mundane task. But you know what? If you're in business, acquiring customers is anything yeah, but a mundane Yeah, that's not mundane, task. man. That's not mundane at all. I'm with you on that. Paying the bills is the last thing for mundane. So with that being stated, maybe it sounds like it's kind of a takeaway note. The folks who are tuned into the episode – Maybe it's kind of smart to get a sense of what are the people who are being forced onto the bleeding edge? Like maybe we could say, you know, the oil and gas folks, the pharma folks, maybe some of the gargantuan digital platform and e-commerce players. What are they sort of, again, being forced to do compute wise? And then maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of kind of a crystal ball as to what's going to trickle its way down in terms of possibility for other industries and smaller businesses. So maybe the best look into the future is to see what the people who are forced to live on the screaming edge are doing. And imagining, hey, where does this apply to us in two years? How are we going to be able to use this next year when we overhaul things? It seems like maybe that's, a again, as close to a crystal ball as we got. I don't know if you'd agree on that one. Yeah, well, I would say ask those people what they're buying. I recall a story not long ago. One of the big companies, I don't remember if it was Google or if it was Facebook, was in the news for placing a ridiculous GPU order from NVIDIA, who we mentioned earlier, right? And so you sit there and you go, well, wait, what in the world are you doing? Buy in 10% of all the GPUs this quarter from NVIDIA. And again, I'm exaggerating. I don't remember the exact details of the story. But paying attention to what those companies are actually making capital asset allocation to. And oh my God, if they're buying that many GPUs, boy, oh boy, maybe maybe I should be paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah, there's obviously some wariness here about like, this is really hot and neat and I should go blow a bunch of funds. But then there's also something to be said for, hey, maybe this is where things are going and I should at least consider it thoroughly as I look forward into the future. And it seems like there's a lot of opportunity to do that if you can take a look at what the cutting edge is. 
That's exactly right. If you're in a more traditional business, you just need the early warning system. You need yeah, to connect that's Gary it. and say, hey, look, well, geez, for example, uh, this I, I keep going back to the GPU, CPU one because this is one that I really lived through in my career. And you know, it was one of these things where the CIOs of organizations were like, well, why would I buy graphics cards? And now you talk to most CIOs of traditional organizations and they understand why you would buy GPUs and Macs. And so that's something that happened. And, and maybe by the time it got to the law firm or the doctor's office, it was 20 or 30 years later. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that person got to watch more traditional tech before that and more traditional tech got to watch bleeding edge tech before that. And I was a TA in grad school. And one of my students is, is actually in charge of the high performance computing stuff over at NVIDIA. And it was very funny because I knew about this thing years ago because I was the guy's TA that GPUs would start taking over CPUs. And he was this crazy thesis writer. He was the only guy out there talking about this in the mid, literally, this is in the mid 90s. And, you know, 25 years later, he's been proven completely right. But trust me, he was one of five people in the world who was saying this back in the yeah. mid 90s. And, and, and so, so you've got the universities in front of everybody at the bleeding, bleeding edge. Yep, yep. In cold frankness, Paul, there's probably just as many professors with hypotheses that they believe in with their heart and soul, which fail miserably. And so that there's a little bit of like, like, <laughs> like, like, like no, no, like, I don't know who's Nostradamus and who's not. To some degree, there's just like, atoms bounce off void and randomness occurs and then somebody wins. But yes, to, right. to be to be frank, I think the lesson in what you said there, it's cool to be able to reflect back on those things, is that you know the, the research institutions might even be seen as the more cutting edge. And so I, I like this concept of canary in the coal mine. I know we're just wrapping up on time here, but I hope that our listeners maybe can apply this same thought, not just to computing, uh, you know, okay, well, who's bigger and has bigger compute needs and sort of how are they orchestrating this? That's a good look to the future. But people could think through that same lens, which I think was a very useful one that you mentioned, Paul, uh, again, a canary in the coal mine. They could look at that same lens for different applications in AI, you know, maybe who's going to require similar kinds of algorithms and, and applications in this space and maybe what are they doing? And I think, like you said, if you're not on the bleeding edge, there's a way to kind of look for the canary in the coal mine and Hopefully people can use that and think through that for computing and for AI in general. So thanks a ton for being able to share your ideas with us here, Paul. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you making the time for me. Thank you. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.